Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next podcast here at Trek Babble. This is Kevin. This is Matthew. And this is Kelly. Esther. Yes, we have a full house today uh, in our brand new movie theater. So uh, we're sitting down in this very nice, uh, the projector is very pretty, the screen is very big, um, and we are sitting down for uh, Star Trek Insurrection, uh, the next movie in order. Yeah. Uh, three of the four people sitting here have averred that they have no recollection of ever. <laughs> I recall the movie very clearly because I have, because if I'm going to have a good memory for something, it's going to be Star Trek. I just don't, I know I watched it in theaters. I specifically recall my high school class went to the, uh, went to this uh, art museum downtown and I got like special permission to leave the, like when the field trip went home. I got permission to stay downtown so I could go to the movie theater at 600 North Michigan and go see it because it was the day it came out. And everybody wants to know why Kevin got no action when he was in school. So <laughs> he was like, teacher, teacher, <laughs> there's a Star Trek movie. Can I stay after? And all the kids were like, nerd. Well, that, well there are many issues that prevented me from getting any action in high school. That was probably only three or four okay. on the list. Um, I, well, I must have seen this movie since, like on TBS or something, but it I, the, the preliminary consensus of the group was that this, we recall this as being a competent episode, but not a great movie. Well, I saw it in the theater with my first roommate, uh, Michael, um, and I remember walking out of the theater and saying, I liked that, I thought that was good, because it made me think, you know? It had a good ethical core, which I guess, Kelly, you're right. Even though I wasn't yet a philosophy major, I <laughs> was already a philosopher of sorts. Uh, I assume Kelly first saw it with me. First? Only ever saw it sure. with you? So certainly more recently than Kevin did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, I vaguely remember that I saw it. I, I have a notion of what it's about, but I definitely do not remember the details. I saw it the first time when I was in college, when I was in the theaters, and I went with a fellow fan of Trek, and we went to see it. Um, We were both at University of Chicago at the time, and I remember coming out of the theater liking it, both of us kind of going, well, it wasn't first contact, but it was better than Generations. Um, (laughs) See, that's the question I think we're going to circle around at the end. Is (laughs) Is is it better than Generations? My recollection was no, I think. I was charmed by Generations in a way that I was not charmed by this. This felt more like what I was expecting from a Star Trek Next Generation movie. Again, I think it's better; would be better as an episode. It doesn't have the compelling issues that you had in other ones. The, the state of the universe isn't at stake. Um, well, we've talked about that. That we we have found that to be a bit of a detriment to the movies overall. The, the need to have a grander villain tends to distract from some of the things we like most about Star Trek. When you have a single bad guy, it really stops you from being able to dig into some of the finer grain character work or ethical quandaries. But I've, I've heard people say that Star Wars movies have had a negative influence on Star Trek movies. I would not disagree with that. You know, that people feel that there has to be a certain space operatic you know, element. You have to have a grand villain... You have to have literally everything at stake. And how many times can you do that? You know, over and over. It just it starts to wear thin. And oddly, 
But that's why movies aren't supposed to be... Well, they're out there every three or four years, sure. Right. But I actually think the TOS movies did a better job of avoiding that than the TNG movies have done. Because so far, what do do we have? We've got Soren threatening to undo time or something. And then we've got the Borg threatening to destroy humanity. Well, but perhaps better than saying that the universe has to be at stake, there has to be something at stake for the characters. And I'm not ever quite sure what's at stake for any of the main characters in this movie. Hmm. Well, why don't we start it and we'll... We'll see. We'll see if those questions can be answered. So you should get your media ready, and we will all press play simultaneously in three, two, one. Press play. This is a Paramount picture, just in case you didn't know. It's always fun rewatching older Star Trek because a different company owns Paramount. It's like, you know, a you know, like Gulf Western Company, a Viacom company, now it's CBS again. It well, I think what sticks out is the fact that there isn't the sort of logo salad before movies, you know, yeah. that there is these days. There's one logo. That's it. No, like, Bad Robot and Syncope and who the hell knows what else production. All right, so this is Jonathan Frakes. This is his second movie. I have always found this thing, this orange effect that's going to happen. Oh, that didn't happen. I guess that was on first contact. Never mind. Oh, the, like the resolve? Yeah. But it sort of like crumbled or something. Okay, so clearly this is very different. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, the other movies have tended to start with uh, a space backdrop, you know. Yeah. Uh, and suddenly we're in this sort of sylvan... Hell, I don't even know what how to describe this, right? It's a pastoral idyll. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 certainly idyllic. Uh, but even from here, we kind of get the impression that there's an interesting technology thing going on. Like it's, you know, this doesn't look like Star Trek. I, the sets are strange. Well, it looks it it looks like a set. You know, it doesn't look like a. Like a real place almost. Okay, so you would criticize the set design here. Yeah, well, it almost looks like a like it, it's like the high end version of what a like matte painting for Bajor would be. Hmm. Hmm. Here we have some irrigation. This is a really bad way to irrigate your crops long term because uh, it basically salts the earth. Huh. Uh, it's what destroyed uh, the Mesopotamian civilization. You know, over five, 500 to 1,000 years of uh, ditch irrigation, when the water dries, yeah, it was the water yeah. you know, goes up into the atmosphere, but all the you know, elements stay down Super. in the soil. Super. Yeah, so we've got blacksmiths, we've got uh, a bellows, a uh, I don't quite know what he's making. Is that like a hoe blade or what? It's a beautiful theme, I have to say. Yeah. The music. It's Jerry Goldsmith, uh, one of our favorites. I think he did the best. Did he do the TNG theme? I think he did. Jerry... Well, no, that, I thought that was Alexander Courage. No, no. Thing. Alexander Courage did the TOS theme, but the TNG. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. So he did. The motion picture, James Horner did too. Uh, 
and they had various people doing three, four, five, and six. Uh, but Jerry Goldsmith has done all the TNG movies yeah. so far. Okay, now uh, I think that was a nice transition. Yeah, uh, it's like, oh, uh oh, what's going on here? You know, this is very different. It's no longer the pastoral scene. It's very technological. It was a clever shift. Okay, so th- this is obviously a kind of callback to me for the similar duck blind situation in um, Who Watches the Watchers. Though this is a super well staffed duck blind. There's like 15 people in here. Yeah, and of course, you know, astute Trek fans will be thinking, who the hell are those weird looking guys, you know? Um, they're clearly not Starfleet. They're clearly dressed very differently. They've got very villain-esque sort of Yeah, they look trappings. like bad guys, yeah. And not just because their faces are stretched. They've got, you know, it's like something Darth Vader would wear, you know? It, it's a really neat effect on the uh, sort of HUD. Oh, so HUD. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, like the window overlays yeah. and stuff. Yeah. It's really well realized. It would have been fun to set up that practical effect, I think. Yeah. I kind of wonder why Data's narrating the stuff that he's doing. I guess that's what he does. I have a hard time believing they can't hear them running. Yeah. They did not have cloaking suits on Who Watches the Watchers, did no, they? No, it was just a holographically hidden. Uh... So clearly this is California. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually a pretty decent effect, actually. Yeah, yeah, especially for the time. Though I will say... Um, I, I, I have begun, as an adult, certainly to understand Brent Spiner's reluctance to play this part in perpetuity because he looks, you know, the good ten years older that he is at this point than he was, say, in the middle of Next Gen. It's just, you know, there's... there's he was in, what, his mid-30s, I think, when he got the part? Yeah, so he's probably 45, 46 here. you could explain that away and be like he just wanted to appear like he's aging yeah they did that in all good things yeah. they gave him the gray streak yeah I personally I think it's enough for fans that he act the same way yeah and not that he looked the same way I think most of us can forgive yeah it's just also particularly in blu-ray the uh, yeah. passage of time is a little more sharply portrayed these red uniforms remind me of a Twilight Zone, new Twilight Zone episode, in which guys dressed in blue uniforms would, like, reset the Earth every moment, and then someone got out of sync and saw the, the workers behind the scenes. So here's the Enterprise-E, which we were introduced to last movie. It's a nice ship. You know, I don't love it. I mean, I do wonder if part of it is, like, I, I fell in love with the D when I was a kid. Yeah. You know. Dr. Crusher apparently is not doing it with the captain, but is dressing him or something. Well, also, I would like to thank whoever either 
either she or whoever else was responsible for putting the red back in her hair. <laughs> she looked fine as a blonde. She looks better as a redhead. Just, just put it out there. Do you dig the dress? You oh, they look like Mater D's. They do. And I don't get why Picard's bib is white. Because I can understand if, like, just Crusher and Troy's were blue, because that reflects their feel, but then why, why don't Riker and Picard have the same uniform? Yeah. Also, I feel this is one of those uniforms that, much like the, um, they put me in mind of the uh, uniforms from All Good Things in the future, where it's like, you've picked a very narrowly tailored, very high-waisted outfit that could only suit a limited handful of people. Sirtis's makeup is terrible. Yeah, her hair's not doing her favors either. Of course, Gates McFadden is essentially ageless and beautiful at all times. I mean, I'm not going to say she looks better now than she did in 1988. But she looks good. I mean, She looks darn good. It's the cheek I suspect under all that makeup, Marina Sirtis looks great too, but... Yeah, they... They caked it on. Mr. Worf, what the hell are you doing here? Well, sir, the writers... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Decided we couldn't have a movie without Worf, so... (laughs) And in dialogue, that's basically what they do. Picard's just like, yeah, shut up now. I don't need to actually hear the explanation. Admiral Dougherty... So here we are in 10 Forward, which we didn't really get to see in First Contact, did we? Yeah. It's not really 10 Forward, though. It's sort of like... It's just yeah, like a Observation hall. lounge yeah. with the wall backed out or yeah. something. Which is too bad, because 10 Forward is... Such a great set, oh. yeah. I mean, where would be the first places you'd want to go if you were to really visit the real Enterprise D? You know, the bridge? The <laughs> I mean, as far as iconic truck sets, uh, I gotta think it would be Bridge and then Ten Forward. So they worked in a Dominion reference. Uh, that made me happy. Yeah, I, I, I'm into that. Well, continuity. So when does this fall? I, is this supposed to be right around between season six and seven of DS Nine? I want to say yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna let's look that up. So they're in the Dominion War, still. Yeah. And I think there's even a reference to, uh, like, the Sona, like, helping the Dominion. They make Ketrasol so light, yeah. Which, th- that line, oh, we can analyze when we get to that line, but that kind of annoyed me. A lot of this stuff is very reminiscent of what they used to call pillar filler. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, little comedic beats that don't really do much for the story, but, you know, are little slice of life vignettes. Yeah. I gotta say, this Admiral also looks like a bit of a bad guy. Well, I mean, there is, of course, a proud history of officious douchebags in Star Trek, and he is definitely filling out the role. Uh, I like the Admiral uniform, generally. Oh, yeah, yeah. Once they got to, like, the Admiral Ross Admiral uniform, like, just seriously, for a group of people, usually older men... Anything that draws attention to the waist is not your friend. Dougherty out. Um, you know, we got a little dialogue there setting up some of the particulars. They're in some region of space, which is difficult to reach. It's got radiation or something.
<laughs> her face was like, is this what I'm doing now? I'm going to ask Warp to delay his return to DS9. <laughs> for at least two hours of screen time. Yeah, so uh, just to put this in context, the episodes that came out after just after this release date were Voyager's Counterpoint and New Space Nine's It's Only a Paper Moon. Is that in season seven? Yeah. Okay. Good particle effects. This is clearly a CG ship. Yeah. I like the planet. Yeah. It looks nice. And here we are introduced to Ruafu, played by F. Murray Abraham. And I just... What do you think they're going for here? Is this supposed to be a commentary on plastic surgery culture? I suppose, but I mean... We're told that there are only 600 Baku. And these guys, the Sona, whom we've never met before, are chafing against Federation rules and regulations. Like, he, he reminds me of, like, Pinhead. <laughs> like, this can't possibly, like... Like, maybe I would have bought them more as villains if their villainy seemed more effective or something. Like, I don't know, just... Well, I mean, what are you going to do? You could have an established bad guy in the movie. You know, some race that we've heard of. Yeah, well, I mean, just, like, this system of, like, plastic surgery just seems really upsetting and not useful. Just just, do what Pulaski did and just beam through the transporter a few times. Like, it just seems like Federation technology would allow for much more effective rejuvenation techniques. Yeah, I mean, I guess the idea is that they're... Two or three hundred years old. It reminds me of Doctor Who, that uh, character with their, her skin stretched. Oh yeah, Cassandra. So here's a different angle on the bridge, which actually is more pleasing than the angles we got in First Contact. I, I don't know if they redid anything. It's certainly lit brighter yeah. than it ever was in First Contact, and we can see some more soft colors on walls and things, at least in the front. They're in a war, right? He doesn't need to go back to Deep Space Nine during a war. Well, heck, for a good two-thirds of both of the final seasons, they weren't really doing anything with the war. (laughs) So there's the Briar Patch, which I take it is some sort of nebular formation. Um... I like the shadowing effects. Oh, and, you know, I think it's cool how, you know, there's sort of a 3D effect on the, the cloud formations. So the Sona integrated two other races as labor classes. This raises questions for me. If there are only 600 Baku, how many Sona are there? And how did they take over two other races? I guess I'm, right, I'm talking I, over the interesting yeah, part. Here. I appreciate Troy pointing out why would we be involved with these people because it is does seem like a red flag. Like I guess if you wanted to synthesize some broader point about the Federation getting desperate for allies, blah blah blah, compromises, blah blah blah, we could have done that, but we've seen that guy before. I know I've seen that guy before. 
Okay, so the way I interpreted those scenes by the end of the movie was that Troy's flirtatious neck rubbing and Worf's oversleeping were effect, were effects of the rejuvenation process, like the same thing that's going to give him that big zit in a minute. Yeah, yeah. Once they entered the Briar Patch area, they started being affected by whatever radiation this is, and it started turning them into teenagers, essentially. Um, there's a trill at the, the helm there, or the, the ops position, I guess. Jordy is at the helm. <laughs> I mean, Rafa's not even trying to not look like a villain. Yeah. I like that line of dialogue. I know what data means to Starfleet. That calls back to uh, oh, Measure of Man, among others. You know, Dougherty, it's interesting that he's kind of swayed by these arguments. I guess it shows that he still has some respect for yeah. uh, Starfleet and other human values or whatever. So there is, I think, a straight computer effect. Yeah. Not a meld of model yeah. and computer. I think this might be the first movie where the ship was done by CGI. Metaphasic radiation. <laughs> you can put the prefix meta in front of so many things. <laughs> Why is Picard piloting the shuttle? Well, Why I'm, is Picard going on this boy mission? I guess Picard feels personal responsibility, and if anybody's going to shoot data out of the sky it has to be him or something it does seem like the kind of unacceptable risk that the first this two seasons of TNG would have frowned um, upon yeah shit fit about so is this or is what Worf and Picard in a redress of the runabout set I if it's a redress it's a pretty significantly altered structurally I don't think it is. Okay. I, think, I think they made this straight. Because it's got totally different windows, okay, totally different chairs and pillars. Mm. Some nice effects all told. Uh, you know, I mean, maybe not at the level of today's CG, but they don't stick out as bad. No, certainly. Worf, turn off the fog machine. Now's not the time. I really think they did a very good job in the atmosphere yeah. with lighting and color schemes. Like, the reflection on Picard's chair and face, for instance. Yeah. You know, it really creates a feeling of verisimilitude. <laughs> 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 Didn't. 
did he really think that Worf would know Gilbert and Sullivan? Worf studies Klingon opera. Apparently only two button presses away <laughs> are, are the lyrics to all Gilbert and Sullivan. Well, the ship was listening to him, nobody was talking about yeah. Like, Cortana's just there, just knows. <laughs> sing, Worf, sing. But very good time. <laughs> That's very good comic time. That's Worf at my favorite in that moment. That oh, yeah. kind of Stoic, humorless Worf <laughs> is hilarious. Like, these shots are excellent. Yeah. I think I would have been happier if Picard had used a Shakespeare speech. <laughs> hmm. It's a little too connecting him to Patrick Stewart, I yeah. think. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but they did it a dozen times in the show. It's, uh... But then what speech, you know? That's true. I think it's a cute scene, but I do wonder what what is going on in like Data's yeah. mind that he's willing to be so sidetracked by this song. Yeah. Yeah, shouldn't he be able to sing like twelve songs at the same time yeah. and pay attention to what he's doing? <laughs> like it should distract Picard more than it distracts Data. Right. If Worf can reroute the emergency power, why doesn't the computer just do it? Yeah. You know? Like, it, it's not a physical procedure, it's just a button press. Yeah. And if so, why doesn't it happen automatically? <laughs> Kelly's getting dizzy. <laughs> it's going to stop soon. This is, this is a nice shot. Yeah. Are they doing his contacts differently? Data's? Yeah, it looks more yellow-yellow. Maybe it was just the sunlight in that shot. I think it's got more detail. So they're under the impression that the Baku are holding the duck-blind crew hostage. Yeah, you'll see her makeup looks much better yeah. in natural light. Yeah. <laughs> terrible on the ship. These hacky sacks are computer generated, and you can kind of tell they don't look quite perfect. I know it's like they did a duck blind in somewhere in like the Napa Wine Valley. Yeah, <laughs> which uh. is almost certainly where they're filming. Attaché to Admiral Dougherty. I always like the super complicated hairdos that Starfleet women seem to rock. Like I'm gonna get up 20 minutes early this morning to braid the world's most complex braid. <laughs> so Jeff, it's like you didn't really work that hard to make an alien name, did you? Uh, please, there's no apostrophes in it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> saying it's the worst. She's like something. She's a, I guess, a Broadway star. She, that is Donna ah. Murphy. She's a Broadway actress. I saw her play the witch in Into the Woods. I 
I think they gave Troy a lot to do in this movie, but they really heavily underutilized that. Gates McFadden. Yeah. Don't they do that in every movie? Yeah. I suppose they have done that in every movie. This is pretty harsh outdoor light. Everybody has to be kind of squinty. I mean, it looks good. Yeah. Gotta say, the Blu-ray's pretty good. You can really make out some texture on like the shoulder of Picard's uniform. Yeah, when it's not in high motion, I think maybe some DNR is smearing motion a little bit. But yeah, these nice static one and two shots look really nice. So we're getting a bit of their philosophy, which I guess is similar to what's her face, Ayn Rand on DS9. Yeah. Uh, what was her name? Oh, um, it's the box for you. Yeah, Suzanne, Jacqueline, or something. There's a CGI hummingbird. That is totally CGI hummingbird. He's like, yeah, he's totally into her. Okay, I like the t I like them in talking tapestry on yeah. the chair. Nice Very touch, cool. well done, people. It's a new computer uh, display. Yeah, looks nice. It's got sort of a curved yeah body. Uh, it's a little more widescreen. Than before. I do miss uh, Picard's old ready room. Maybe because we just didn't spend time in this one in normal lighting conditions. Um, well, it's like they're really trying to cram it full of stuff. Yeah. And it ends up just being too busy to really latch on to. There, there's just... Look, it, you're absolutely right. That there's something to say for nostalgia and just watching the same thing for seven straight years. Um, but I think aesthetically... Now, this set's pretty good, but the Ready Room set had all these sort of lines going through. Yeah, it, it was yeah. Just kind of... I need a little counseling. I'll say... Okay, I'll say. Whatever... Whatever my... Comp they have obvious chemistry. Yeah. And it carries the scenes. Like, like Jonathan Frake strikes me in every interview I've ever seen him as not far off of the person we're watching now. This kind of big, cuddly lug... That you just like just makes you smile when you're feeling down, and that plays well here. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think I'm having a midlife crisis. What I need, I can't get from Doctor Crusher. <laughs> I've tried. <laughs> he actually has. Oh yeah, when he was Odin. When he was Odin, <laughs> and presumably he remembers that. Yuck! <laughs> these are good. These are good scenes, and I, I that is also patently untrue. Yeah, she she did kiss him at least once with the beard. Uh, there was um, uh, man of the people. Okay, she was evil possessed. Um, did she kiss him in Menage Troy? Yes, yes, they were making out when. Yeah, 
I mean, it's still a funny line, and they handled it well, but it's just, you know, I'm here pre-internet with my list of things I remember. <laughs> she, I, look, she could just be misremembering. Yeah, yeah that's true. Maybe the beard is bushier. You know, there's any number of explanations that would satisfy. Okay, I'll say I like engineering this time better than last. Maybe it's because, again, it's better lit. Well, they're using a softer, less harsh lighting scheme. They've definitely added beige, which is a nice callback to what we know and love. Yeah, and I, I think they've also, like, rejigged... Like, I think the lights coming out of the warp core are smaller. Like, they're just less blunt. Also, is this our android closet? Like, what <laughs> uh, what other purpose does this room have? I think it's for, like, holding board prisoners or something. Maybe it's left over from the board. Well, it's nice to see Brent Spiner's comic timing is, is not off. I feel like Data's collar is kind of weird. <laughs> like, Picard's collar fits really well, Jordy's fits okay, and Data's fits really badly. The, the gray part of the collar. Very CG. The, this was really unnecessary. Yeah, it's almost like, like you're not selling a toy. Roll, bring it back. I mean, look, it's not Jar Jar or anything. Well, it's because it doesn't speak, fortunately. Yeah, thank goodness. I always like how vests indicate, like, pre-industrial civilizations. <laughs> we haven't, mas- also, we haven't mastered... Yeah. <laughs> we haven't mastered the sleeve yet. We really need to knit some vests for the boys. Yeah. How do you feel the casting on uh, What's-His-Face here? The 12-year-old boy. Well, he's not preternaturally grown up, and, you know. Yeah, I don't hate him. I don't want to punch him in the face. Right, yeah. In some ways, this is such an episode type of conversation. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. But hey, whatever. Okay, little Jack. Troy is shaving. Freaks, you know. And he's clearly already been shaved, and they're just wiping <laughs> shaving cream off his face. I I occasionally let my facial hair grow full enough to require a shave shave, and that is not what it looks like when you have shaving cream in your facial hair. Setting that aside. Maybe um, it's futuristic. Shaving. Yeah, no kidding. Um, um, we were at the convention with Marina Service and Jonathan Frakes, and apparently this bathtub set is in... <laughs> Captain Janeway's quarters on the Voyager set. And to this day, Marina Sirtis was about to say something about Kate Mulgrew and Jonathan Frake stopped her, and I would give all the Latin in my possession to hear her finish that story. Kelbinite. Yes, indeed. I wonder where this lake is. Um, it's an incredible vista. Yeah, one, uh, some fragment of my memory says this is some man-made lake. Yeah, that's, in, uh, that's the feeling I get. Maybe it's by a dam. Maybe, yeah. maybe it's a damned lake. 
Okay, I like remembering that data does not float. But kudos to Frakes and his cinematographers. They've found the right light. They've got a great backdrop. It's uh, very visually interesting. Yeah, one of the things I think they were trying for in this movie, and I think uh, some of the actors talked about it, was after First Contact they wanted a slightly lighter film, yeah. much like uh, Voyage Home. I don't know how much they succeeded at that. but I agree, but... Convict Lake. Convict Lake. There you go. Mammoth Lakes Park. Is it in California? Yeah. I mean, look at these mountains. Gorgeous. Also, how do they raise this thing when Data's not there? I mean... <laughs> Why did they build this gigantic dam, you know, water-pumping well, structure? Like, I, I, maybe it's a reservoir for the irrigation? Maybe. Convict Lake was also in How the West Was Won. Hmm, there you go. It's a nice effect on a sort of light-bending, cloaking dealie. How is this vessel clearly a Federation region? It's invisible. Sort of a catamaran pontoon situation yeah <laughs> and i like that i'm not rowing you're rowing <laughs> that's a neat effect how yeah. the water is displaced like that Yeah, I mean, so clearly they're going for more organic sets. The droplets, not so great. That is some green screen. Yeah. <laughs> well, so clearly they're stepping on to the real set. It's right, right behind and them got, is now fake backdrop. Yeah. It's not... not Badly done. I know what a hologram is, Captain. So this is reminiscent of the uh, other Ducks Land episode. And, and well, I was saying, yeah, who watched the Watchers and then uh, uh, Shadow Play, the one on Deep Space Nine with the holographic village well visually this is extremely reminiscent of that set yeah uh but as far as the conceit that they're gonna you know surreptitiously transport you know these people i just could you really be transported while you're asleep and not notice it why not i mean what what does tra the transporter do to you when you're asleep how noticeable well, Barkley seemed to find it very noticeable. Round but but well, when conscious, he found it yeah. quite noticeable. <laughs> I find it interesting that the hologram is responding to the phaser fire rather than simply 
malforming. Oh, you mean the like the, the backdrop? Yeah, like why is the why would like the stone column like burst or the water splash? You know. Well, I think we've been given to understand that simple things are actually replicated, yeah, while that's true. complex things yeah. are uh, simulated because they can eat and drink on the holodeck. It's a good camera shot. Yeah. I think those are stunt doubles, but hey. Well, it's hard, hard enough to tell from the back. She's looking quite nipply in that outfit. Must be cold water. I don't know. Yeah, that was, that was, like, that was the that joke too really far. <laughs> So uh, here we get to see it. what was that episode of Voyager Macrocosm when Janeway gets to run around the ship in her like uh, tank top. I feel like that's what was going on here. A gorge. It's hardly noticeable. That that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, I gotta say, Patrick Stewart is a fit man. He is. He has kept it tight. The extra look by Spiner was very yeah. Funny. It's so weird how like how similar and how different he looks to like first season Riker. Oh, I mean, he looks a lot younger without the beard. Yeah, you can definitely tell under the chin, but um... So we're getting sort of the sci-fi angle. I do have a few nagging questions about this effect. effect. You know, it's they establish in dialogue coming up, not as smooth as an Android's bottom. Um, they establish in dialogue coming up that yeah, like, it, it, well, only, we, it only works on the planet's surface. Well, that's not my problem. I mean. It, there's there's the plot problem there, you know. It's like how come they're feeling it on the ship when apparently only the yeah. readings do this on the planet? But they're gonna say that the effect doesn't really uh, kick in until you've reached maturity, and I just like what that makes no sense. Yeah. You know, this is some radiation that's present throughout a star system, and it has a profound. I mean, profound effect yeah. on complex life forms. I find it hard to believe this is the scene where they're going to do it. Um, like, why is that guy over there, like, 28, but these people over here are in their 40s? You know, why isn't everybody reverted? Well, it, it retards. It doesn't arrest the aging process, is my understanding. I guess. But why wouldn't it start on children at just... It it smacks of teleology. It smacks of some sort of uh, you know perfect body image that is somehow restored or something. It continually regenerates us. I'm twelve. 
The metaphasic radiation won't begin to affect them until he reaches maturity. What's maturity? Yeah. What random age is that? What is the definition of maturity that this radiation respects, is my question. Well, I mean, they could have, like, if they hadn't used the word maturity, if they had said, like, you know, puberty, and it somehow reacts with your hormones or something. Like I think they should say it takes 20 years of exposure to kick in. And so when a kid is born... they wouldn't have been able to notice it. Well, also, like, yeah, like yeah. If, if it de-aged people, like, yeah, why are people in their 20s and some people in their 40s? Like, does it, like, yeah. Yeah, if you start being affected by it in your 20s, shouldn't it revert you to age 10? I don't know. Do they have to get haircuts? I mean, what, like, what, which processes are retarded and which processes are not? Many of the young people want to know more about the offland. So I felt like maybe there was sort of an Amish slash Mennonite strain in the story. Right, there should be some kind of room for her. But, like, maybe it was... Which deep. would allow them to go off in age, yeah. conceivably, and then come back. But then, of course... You wouldn't be able to tell anyone where you're from. <laughs> well, but maybe the, the, that strain of the story was de-emphasized. I mean, let's pay attention to the origin story of the Sona. I think that's the idea. Like, some people yeah. were intrigued by the offland. Now, all of these criticisms said, you know, I'm into a Fountain of Youth story. I think it's certainly interesting yeah. from a sci-fi angle. And, and Picard just tagged the ethical core of the of the, of the movie. Uh, the greatest tragedies in uh, my planet's history are the forced relocation of a small group of people for the benefit of a large one. That's, that's a good line. And I'll say that I, this is a good place as any to bring up this, co this complaint of uh, Donna Murphy and Patrick Stewart have some good chemistry. Like the characters, like the, they have good banter. I think like the problem is, did the, did the casting people say, get us a Dr. Crusher type? Like it, it just feels like you could see Picard and Crusher having this conversation and just, there's just, it, it just, it boggles me that if you're going, and, and I know I said the opposite in lessons when they essentially did the same thing, but if you're going to give Picard a love interest, making her kind of visually and, thematically like she she just has that kind of like collected together kind of hot milfy vibe going on that gates mcfadden also has so it just seems like i get a guy having a type but it just ugh. matt do you want to <laughs> i i mean i can appreciate donna murphy here is giving her a bit more of a sedate kind of tranquil vibe yeah. than crusher tends to have um you know, she's sort of like a guru or a... Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. like she, she's definitely got... She's into the spiritual swing of the place. Um, but the, the question for the movie... I mean, I think we're all thrilled that Troy and Riker are finally getting it on, right? Well, you I'm know, glad we just answered the question. Well, I, I just... You know, they teased it for so long right. on TNG... They ignored it in the first two movies. You know, it yeah. It feels right to have it happen. And so I guess the question becomes, can you do both? 
in the space of one story. And yeah. It, it might overtake the story. And then it's just like some sort of weird rom-com, you know, with four different characters and like some sort of hilarious hijinks with the Sona that might stop them from, you know, consummating or something. Um, well, but if you do the Troy and Riker where it's just like a given, now we're together, you know, like you could have tension between Picard and Crusher. Yeah. So, no, I, I'm on record many, many, many times saying that it is wrong for Picard to be dating or doing it with anybody but Dr. Crusher. It, it's offensive. It's it, it's harmful. That means I, I like this little this little snippet of dialogue was good. It's a, you're unaware of the trust you engender for someone so young. That's a it was a good line. Yeah, no, it's well it's well written. Yeah, I'm not saying it's badly written. Uh, just as a fan, I, yeah, I think you start to be annoyed by the constant redirection. From Crusher, it, but, I'd also say that that the whole thing about the swimming all cute, like why haven't you learned to swim in three hundred years or whatever? Well, that is a cute moment of dialogue between those two. I also think it they missed the chance to point out the underlying problems of perpetual life, which is that you you don't you don't actually doesn't actually force you to make good choices and yeah. think about what you want to accomplish. Because you're all, there's no there's no chance of regret because you'll just get to it at some point. You don't need to have a bucket list, right? Yeah. There's no right. There's that sense of and that there's a there's a great kind of check play about this, you know, which ends with the death of immortality, which the English translators thought wasn't funny enough as it was. I thought it's was hysterical and would need to be added to, but you know that that I think is something that would have added a little depth. Yeah, that they're not perfect. There's a there is a potential danger not just being kicked out of this Eden yeah. and wanting to go back, but there's maybe a danger in living in Eden. As I just well. I just want to interrupt for a moment and say this is a great acting moment for Levi. Yeah, and it is. And like the the film of tears on his eyes here is you know really well done. Uh, yeah. No, so and, I agree. And, with and I also Lester. like it's it, the the couple the handful of times they've shown Jordy without his visor. Lamar Burton does have beautiful eyes. Like, yeah, yeah, and not making more contacts and letting yeah. him have his own eyes. Yeah, but I, I agree with you. You know, they, in some of that dialogue there, there was a little hint. Like it's like once you're here, you stop sort of, you know, you. <laughs> thinking about the future. No, you stop thinking about the past and you start planning for the future. No, she said you'd stop planning for the future. Okay. Like you just don't do anything. You just sort of live. So like Dowdy is disgusted by Rafa. There's there's a whole conceit here that, and Dougherty is going to explain it to Picard that they needed the Sona's technology to collect the radiation somehow. Uh, how you collect metaphysic radiation is a separate issue. Uh, I just this I I have a hard time believing that the Federation can't replicate some sort of technology. Well, I remember Roger Ebert's review kind of pointed this out, where it's like, so you can only do it on the planet, you can't replicate it, you can't, like, wouldn't it be better to have, like, a space station sitting in the rings or something? Like, is it magic? And that's the problem. The the effect is so attenuated and specific, like, even down to the, it doesn't start until you're bar mitzvah or whatever, that it's just, um, it's magic, it's just uninteresting. Well, Dougherty's argument here is... 
it's it's not it doesn't even rise to the level of sophistry. It's just so facially contradictory. He says these people were never meant to be immortal. We're just returning them through a natural state of evolution. It's like, um, what about all the Federation people you purport to be using this effect for? Were they destined to be? We also just kind of have to wonder, like, isn't it eventually then going to run out? Yeah. Like you seem to be like, if if because it seems like they're going to do something to the planet and to this whole like. That's another part of it, just in terms of why, why is this the solution? Why is this this drastic thing that you know? So anyway, this ready room, at least as a couch, it's got some of the beigey, you know, panels and stuff. So I'm into that. So lifespans will be doubled. I don't know. Okay, don't get me wrong. It's I'm not eager for death. But even 70 or 80 years, uh, assuming you would be in good health, the Star Trek lifespan is even like 120. Yeah, they're supposed to be able to live 120, 130. Like, what else do you need to do? Like, don't ask me to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's very problematic. So their best scientific minds have already looked at it. We can't find another way to do this. Well, why not just set up, like, had they secretly set up a colony on the far side of the planet and not told the Baku? Because it's not like they would have noticed. Yeah, it's not like they're using scanners. Anyway, Picard's on firm moral ground here. It's, it's unacceptable to... Relocate or destroy the culture of even a small group of people, you know, to serve a very large group of people. It's your basic Kantian yeah. uh, argument. Well, no, and it's not like you would be saving millions of people. You would just be, like, somehow slightly making their lives better. Yeah, you'd be maybe. improving their lives to yeah. some degree. You know, well delivered line yes. for Picard yeah. here. I, I mean, he's very. And Patrick Stewart's amazing at these lines. Well, he's had practice. <laughs> yes. At the he does it. Moral indignation line. How many episodes were there? <laughs> Two or three times an episode, usually? Oh, I, I wouldn't go that far, but yes. Uh, at least nine or ten times per season. He got the sort of moral outrage. The first duty of any Starfleet officer is to the truth, be it scientific truth, historical truth, or personal. It's a great line. Well, I mean, there's, I would say there's nine or ten truly good ones every yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. I think he kind of does it pretty <laughs> much every episode. They're just not as, they're not worthwhile. Like, there's there's really no reason to get so up in our moral arms. And <laughs> there's a lot of pads. Uh, we still haven't realized you just need the one pad with a Wi-Fi connection. <laughs> <laughs> These pads are so big. I mean, you can fit it all in the Well, those are like <laughs> those are like drafting pads. Like, are you are you, are you like are you like doing like architectural sketches? Oh, okay, I'll Does say. Does he really have to take the pips off? To I take his uniform off. I don't know. I find the pip removal a little better somehow than the communicator removal, just for being novel. Okay, I did not remember teeth implanting. That takes us to a whole other level of gross. Yeah, that's really upsetting. Does. Yeah, they didn't go nuts with it. They didn't give like a real squishy sound effect yeah. or have this black no, but goo it, or. No, but it really. Like, how many of these guys are there? 
But these guys know each other personally, and they were personally involved. I'm spoiling yeah. it with the with the Baku. Yeah. How many of them are? Well, there? Didn't they say there was like sixty or something? Well, there's there's six hundred Baku. Yeah. How many Sona are there? I just the the specifics of this race and the way things all relate just irritates me. Also, I understand if your goal is like perpetually keep your skin smooth. Like no one could think that looks good. I'm going to miss these flesh-stretching sessions with you now, dear. <laughs> so this is some sort of cargo transporter, and it's... Oh, he's broken out his leather jacket. It's not asymmetrical, so fashion has evolved in the past few, uh, past few years of future history. What is Warfare? <laughs> Whoa. That explains it. I have one of those like tall war figures wearing this and I never knew where they got that uniform from. And I'm like, now it's like like this like random martial arts thing. Is that a woman's jacket? It doesn't have a collar. <laughs> In the future we don't ask questions like that. <laughs> Like, they really needed to give Gates McFadden some of the argument lines. Oh, yeah, like... Uh, they should have had a conversation oh, yeah, yeah. among the crew where there was some dissension. Oh, please, even if, it, even if he just went to her quarters alone to be like, I need a friend because I'm going to do a really stupid thing and I need to know I'll have you'll have my back. Well, she should have argued for the medical benefits for billions of people. Uh, Crusher wouldn't do that. I, I think she could at least see it, even if she eventually sighted on. No, Crusher, like any doctor, is always it's always the patient in front of you. It's not all patients ever. You yeah. you like. Well, she yeah. In ethics, she. So here's Captain's yacht, which is really cool. Yeah, it's a cool ship. The Captain's yacht was always supposed to be a feature of the Enterprise D, but they never had the budget to portray it. Yeah. It's the sort of round thingy mob yeah. on, on the bottom of the saucer section. So we're getting a scene with only Sona. I think the Sona are the major problem with this movie. Yeah, they're not well sufficiently well-developed villains like like deep space nine did a really good job with in the pale moonlight of challenging starfleet ideals versus the cold reality of war it's a fun story it's an interesting story and our heroes come out in the wrong like the bad side of it and it's still interesting so there is a way to do this do you okay here's a hypothetical do you think this movie would be better with uh dominion people as the antagonists or with Romulans as the antagonists. Yeah. Cause they're just, I mean, even if regardless of whether or not, how well we know them, like which culture just, should get immortality. We're trying to build in this, of course, the twist at the end, right? In terms of who the sonar turned out to yeah. be in their relationship. Yeah. 
I don't actually think that pays off in the way they yeah. want it to. No. And I think so. I think it would, you know, whether or not, you know, how, what what connection, you know, this idea of trying to form an alliance where you would not normally have formed one. Yeah. But if they played that up and then done it, had that with the Romulans, it might have been more. I don't think they needed the sonar. I don't think they needed the the twist reveal at the end of where they come from. Well, you know what? They could have had one character be working with the Romulans or working with the Dominion. Right. Yeah. And, you know, that one Which character... Which would have made more sense. ...could be the pariah because from Because there's this idea of, like, how did they... There's only 600 of them, you know? Right. So there was one guy who went on Rumspringa and now wants revenge because he was never let back or something. They could even have a handful, right? Like... Yeah. Well, but that's, that's the problem with this movie. Essentially, we've only been given a handful. Right. You know, they don't seem like a real race. So just, you know, cut out the middleman, make it one character, and then give us a villain that's already developed for Trek fans. My question as far as whether it could work in this movie is, could you possibly explain the whole Dominion mess in sufficient time? But I think you could do the Romulans. Yeah, I think you could do Romulans. Or even Klingons. I mean, people know Klingons. Um, well, it's so challenging the nature of the Alliance and... Why are they still bothering to transport anybody? Like, why not just kill them all? Yeah. No, that that's a question that certainly springs to mind. No, not my pet. Oh, so that's his father? Who's his mother? Or was it the young guy who's his father? I feel like it's supposed to be the main older guy. Yeah. If you know that, why can't you transport them? It's an interesting point. That's why you've embraced our offer. My question is, why don't they just... I guess it's in Federation space, and that's why they have to do it or something. Like, they can't come in with the Romulans. They can't come in with the Cardassians. You mean why the Sona don't? Why the Sona don't go to someone who doesn't have the scruples right. that the Federation has and just get this done more quickly. Federation opinion polls. Huh? I guess in generations we got the Federation media. Yeah. Yeah, why don't they just do their thing? Take the radiation, kill the people on the planet, and be done with it. I guess also, if there's only 600 of them, they only occupy really that one village, and they got kicked out. Why didn't they just? And they don't use massive amounts of technology on a regular basis. Why not just go to the other side of the planet? Well, my understanding is what well, they, they said. They want to take the stuff yeah. from the the okay, but like, it has and destroy it, the planet. They could kind of come back and rejuvenate and go out. And yes, they would age, but you know they. It doesn't seem to take long for it to take effect, right? So if you came back once a week, or you know, I guess you wouldn't be able to go very far. But 
They don't seem like to be interested in exploration. Well, because they they tailored the thing so much that there was no solution of just ignoring yeah. the Baku settlement because it meant destroying the planet or something. I mean, just again, like, if they like, I think the problem is is they tried to they they're waiting so long to reveal the connection between the Sana and the Baku instead of playing it up so that you can get revenge as a motive because it makes sense once you think oh it's about revenge, right? Makes more sense, I guess, but yeah. But if it's revenge, why not just kill him? You know, I mean, I guess they because want, I think they want they want to expel want them, them the way to, they were expelled. Yeah, I think I think it's they they want to go more. Here's your Shakespearean. They want moment, ironic right? revenge. <laughs> I don't mind this dialogue, but I question why it's here. In as opposed to they have like alpacas or something why it's here do the alpacas never age like what the hell i don't know um not till they reach maturity are these alpacas like a thousand years old did they bring them are they native to the planet what kind of life would and could evolve on such a planet there's so many there are such so many more interesting scientific questions that this dialogue just irritates me and not because it's bad, but because I, I have so many questions that I want them to spend time answering and making better that this filler is just kind of like, eh. Like, if you're going to fill it with Troy Riker, I'm not going to complain because that's fan service. That's something I've been wanting for seven-plus years. But if you're going to fill it with this, eh. An exploration of data? Like, we've gotten that before. Yeah, jeez. Like, we didn't get four straight seasons of Data exploring his humanity. I wonder how warm it is on this planet. I think it was actually pretty cold, from what they said. Why is he going through puberty? You know, Anish is still... And it's like they're just setting up the joke. Yeah, they just need to get a pimple on his face, basically. So do the Klingons have a different teleological prime than humans, or Baku, who look exactly like humans? Would you have preferred some sort of appliance on the Baku? Uh, We'd be sitting here complaining about how it looked. (laughs) Well, I, I get the feeling they did it, or did not, do an appliance because they thought it would alienate movie audiences or yeah. something. Literally. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I, I like that line. It's been 300 years since I've seen a ball fan. <laughs> if you just did like sexy ears or something, you know? Yeah. How is it that you've never married? What's the rush? So are you fertile for your entire immortality? Or <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Well, you couldn't be, unless it generates new ovum. Uh, they're experiencing some sort of perfect moment. It, it's like, are they trying to say that they're, the Baku have powers? Or that they're so mentally disciplined that they can... No more questions. <laughs> we will not answer these questions on screen. <laughs> 
Chekhov's Hummingbird. <laughs> so Troy is on a planet, right? Yeah. That seems weird. It seems like, you know, they should be canoodling on the bridge or something. They'd be canoodling. Well, the I just mean they'd be together supporting each other or whatever. There was a running joke that they were going to have a like, half hour sitcom series of the Rikers, and I'm like, I would watch that show. I absolutely would. Yeah. I'll be in engineering. Why the hell were you on the bridge in the first place? I guess we've asked it was, that it was easier. It was easier to set up a two shot. They both look really good here. Like, that's a flattering color palette from Marina Sirtis. And, uh, good lighting. Uh, yeah. Well, and they're supposed to look good because their boobs yeah. are their boobs here. Their boobs have up. <laughs> the blood of a live polar beast. See, okay, is okay. Data reverting yeah. to an earlier state of being? Because that is a season one. I remember thinking that in the theater. That is a season one data joke. Yeah, too far. And look, they're not going as far as Generations did with the off-data humor. But... Oh, that is some CGI right there. Very, very similar to the some kind of thing that was in Star Wars Episode One, actually. Did ILM do the effects on this? So we're getting our sort of quota of action here. Yeah, okay. I mean, so far, so good. It's not bad. This reminds me of uh, Voyager Basics. Is that the... Where they're on stranded the... on a planet? Yeah. Like maybe it's the same location. Okay, I'm just thrilled they let Crusher have a gun this time. Yeah. Because last time they had, like, smashed pots on people's heads. I, you know, it's just when these things happen, it's like, let me go get my alpaca. This is a beautiful shot. Yeah. Oh, not 60%. Are shields at 60%, 60% le or 40% less effective? Or is it just like they're 100% effective until they get to zero? That's, that's always been my problem with shield percentage drama. Now, what did Br'er Rabbit do with his starship? Oh, I guess he was hiding it. Okay. Even caves in basics. Yeah. Are you out of ammo, Worf? Like, what's the deal? A little bit of Klingon theme music, which is also a Jerry Goldsmith uh, composition. These effects were not done by ILM. Uh, they were busy at work on Star Wars Episode One. 
And so they turned to a new company called Blue Sky and Santa Barbara Studios. The only physical model ship is the Sona Collector. Oh, are we really ejecting the core? I gotta say, LeVar Burton's really mastered the walk and talk through the engineering sets in his career. <laughs> I would have liked an internal shot of the warp core descending through the set. Yeah, yeah, that would have helped. I feel like a lot of people who aren't Trek fans are just like, what the hell are they talking about? You know? Yeah. Well, but if they'd shown the internal shot, they couldn't have had him do the, I just did. Yeah, they could have had him say, I'm doing it either way. At least they remember to remove the warp core from the set. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so here we are in the Kelvinite Caves. Ooh, a portable shield generator. That's handy. Yep. Uh, that's not very good. So it wasn't 47. <laughs> 500. I, that's my guess here. It doesn't look like 500. These are good looking caves. Uh, at least some of these rock faces look like they might be real. Yeah. I feel like they've been in caves a lot in Star Trek. Oh yes, especially Deep Space Nine. Many a DS9 episode has died in a cave. Eh, I don't think those are real. It's well done, though. I guess Warp's rifle is working again. Or he got a different one, because I guess he smashed his other one. Little blinky LEDs. I just feel like the interesting part of this movie is over to some degree. Yeah, because there's no more there's no more debate. We, there's not even like a. Never really was a debate. There was never really a. That's just like sort of the action resolution. Yeah. That's left. Yeah. So they're using the Bussard collectors. Always like that. This pissed me off something fierce. <laughs> no. Okay, tell me why, Kevin. There is simply no way a 700-meter <laughs> unknown number of tons starship in a va in a near vacuum, because even though it's a nebula, it's still pretty vacuumy, 
There, there. For, I mean, he, there's just no way you could pilot a ship that way through the feedback in a joystick. See now, and why is the joystick better than the uh, the computer? Thank you. <laughs> well, I've always wondered about piloting with a few little touch buttons, you know, on a touch. Like I can't type on a touch screen, you know. Could I fly a starship on a touchscreen? I feel like I could not. And I feel like nobody could because there's no boundaries between buttons. There's no, like, haptic feedback or anything. And so I, I've always wondered why they didn't fly with joysticks. Now, I get your, you know, sort of momentum concerns and stuff, but it seems to me like they could compensate with the computer to make the joystick a more sort of intuitive I think essentially, like, the computer just flies the ship, and they're just sort of doing course correction stuff. Yeah. Which is why he calls for the manual steering column in that case. Darn kids and their pets. So she's not his mom? I do not believe so. Who is his mom? Like she seems really chummy with what's his face. His hairdo disturbs me. Yeah, but he's kind of cute. Well, yeah, I'm not saying he's not, but his hairdo disturbs me. So were they to have had a debate, so you feel that Crusher would never be on the side of relocation? Well, think of it this way. If she were, she would have tied work to a chair and taken the the substance she needed to save the Romulan. Okay. But Worf would be in favor of, like... The tactical advantage for the Federation or something. Well, he suggested... The problem is it's so clear-cut. This is literally morally reprehensible. There is no... There's not enough gray area? In yeah, the it, it, it's, it's not like they're even tacitly helping the enemy unwittingly or something. There's no counterbalance to the moral quandary. I, yeah, I feel... Like I said, it's not like they're saving lives. They're just sort of... Improving lives. Possibly slightly improving lives. If it works, maybe somewhere else, you know... There's not even some disease that, oh, we discovered the one thing that will right. cure this disease. It's it's curing something that isn't meant to be cured, which is the fact that we all die. Okay, well, then, in Star Trek 2 and 3, there was a very, very strongly pronounced mortality and aging theme, which brought into contrast the sorts of sacrifices and or uh, triumphs that the characters went through. Do you feel as though they could have somehow made the mortality question more keen, more, like, with a character story? Like, maybe one of our characters was sick and could be healed by the thing? You know, or maybe, even in Generations, Picard was feeling like, you know, like, I don't have family and I don't, have right yeah well you know and they i think they were trying to do that with 
Jory getting his sight back, but... It was like a 30-second scene. Well, and, you know, Jordy was like, well, of course I don't care about getting my sight back if it means, you know... Yeah. But it was particularly good. I mean, they've talked about that in the series, and it just felt like it was something that he... He'd so clearly come to terms with it at very... Well, also, he sees technically better than we do. Right. Also, something... But not better. He does say that to to Yar. Yeah, but here's... Okay, that little scene there with the the particles of dust slowing down, were we to read that as because... Time is literally slowing down. Right, because they perceived time as slowing, that they somehow meaningfully slow time, like... And that gives Dr. Crusher... Time to get there, yeah. Relative time to get there. All right. Enough questions, Kevin. <laughs> I mean, that's quite a backdrop. I wonder if they helicoptered them up there? Or maybe it's just it looks like a bigger backdrop than it is. This is like your spaghetti western. Yeah. Thing. Maybe these would be better had they been people tagging them instead of flying doohickeys. Yeah. Because then you could have people actually glaring at each other. Wow, that's quite a maneuver. Uh oh. And so basically, they have to get sent to the ship to set up the reveal of right. the yeah. sort of twist. That's a nice shot. this cargo bay? It's got a force field. I guess their ships are equipped with giant holding cells. (laughs) That extra in back is having a good time. Yeah. Stuart's been doing some curls. So how did Picard figure this out? Well, the tricorder's ability to scan DNA has always been famously fluid. (laughs) Well, they made a point in earlier dialogue of saying that the Sona refused medical scans, and that's why they couldn't be let out of quarantine. When did this happen? Which one were you? That leads me to believe that it was a very small number of Sonya. So they're returning to this, like, Amish theme. They exiled us.
so the twist. It, this makes this seem so small, like it's a very small group of people on either side. How did this small group of people take over these other races? It, Like, it's like, yeah, all the parts are technically there. It just doesn't actually gel into a better story. This needed two or three more drafts, I guess. I always find it weird when people project their logo on things because they need to remind themselves that they are who they are. Poor Admiral Dougherty. Is this gratuitous? Yes. Not the best effect. Yeah, wow, in, H in HD that really doesn't work. It <laughs> didn't work in SD either. It was the eyes. They yeah. didn't make the eyes look very good. Um, yeah. It, like, is Dowdy having second thoughts? Uh, Admiral Dowdy will not be joining us for dinner. Was there a dinner planned? If they knew that it would take 10 years of exposure to have the effects rejuvenate them, why didn't they start this 20 years ago, you know? Instead of having it all hinge on them getting this radiation quickly so that they can save their this, lives or something. This is why I think it would have been better had the revenge scene been built up earlier. Yeah. And not tried to do the twist. Because you could have gone into the revenge part of the motivation. Yeah. Because I think this, the extremity of destroying the Briar Patch, destroying the planet, making it uninhabitable, and yet still wanting, and caring enough to want to take them off the planet, right? Like, they kind of say it, set it off as like, oh, that's how they got the Federation to agree. But it seems to be more likely that they wanted to rub their faces in it. And that would be a more, like... Yeah. Okay, the Collector's not a bad model. Reminds me of the solar sail ship from uh, sure. Explorers. I, but it bothers me in the way that, you know, certain Star Wars, Star Wars-y type things bother me. It's like, it's this big thing for a villainous purpose, and it seems designed merely to be a set piece for action to occur. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. Kind of mystified by Ruafo's love seat on the bridge of his ship. Um, I think there was supposed to be a theme that these Sona were extremely sort of sybaritic, uh, you know, hedonists or something. Uh, they cut some lines about wine, women, and song from the scene in which 
Troy and Riker were talking, yeah. you know, establishing the song. Don't listen to him. He's just going to manipulate you into turning coat. Do they do they have courses in Starfleet Academy? <laughs> yeah, the week like one oh one. Manipulate, yeah. They should. <laughs> Captain's manipulation. Well, because it happens so many times. It's like Kirk does it, Janeway does, exactly it, does it, Picard does it, Cisco does it, yeah. I think maybe even Archer did it a few times. Okay, so based on the magical effects of this planet, if Galna here goes home, what's going to happen to his body? Is his face going to rejuvenate? I mean, they've stretched his skin so far. Yeah. Are his organs going to stop deteriorating? I mean, he's supposed to be 300 years old, right? Yeah. What does he go back to? Does he become the best 300-year-old he could be, or does he go back to being like a 40-year-old? Like... I think where is this mystical point at which you <laughs> that unanswered at, question bothers me the least. <laughs> the apex of the effect of this metaphysic radiation. I, well, I guess we have different different priorities, Kevin, because it's one of the things that bothers me the most. And I think it bothers me the most because because I don't understand the effect. At that least, at least, given its own rules, yeah. why are there why are there Arabic numerals on this? Well, the, I, I, the panel just reminds me of these very similar visual panel on the uh, missile platform in, in generations. generations. Yeah. I gotta have a countdown. Nothing's more dramatic than a countdown. No, because I don't understand how this thing works, I can't really get worked up. You know, it's like, what does it mean for people? Does it mean they'll be teenagers like war? Does it mean they'll be 40-somethings like Anij? Does it mean they'll be healthy 300-year-olds? Like, what does it mean? Jordy, why in the hell does Jordy... It was a genetic problem. Right, it wasn't an injury. It's it's literally written into his DNA that his eyes will be like this. So this thing is editing his DNA to make him a perfect human instead of exactly the kind of human that he is written to be in his genetic code? It, no more questions. It, <laughs> it really bothers me. I th think that guy played Tuvix. Let's see. Maybe not. He played something. Maybe he was the guy who played Tuvok and uh, Live Fast and Prosper. Fast and Prosper. Okay, so they're doing the thing. Oh, okay, they're not doing the thing. 
It's actually the simulation. They're on the holodeck. It's a decent feint. How did... How, how did they... How did, oh, there was like an energy discharge or something. Remember there was the flash of light and they yeah. were like, what happened? Yeah. Alright, so they, they set it up. They did, they did what they needed to do. And I suppose it's an ironic twist that they... Fooled by their own... Fooled, yeah. hoist up on their own petard. They should have locked the doors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they really should have. That really would have been a good idea. Why wouldn't they lock Maybe the doors don't lock. Yeah, uh, like now, th so they they stopped it with six seconds to go. I feel like they should have just left it here. Yeah. You know, instead of had the big action conclusion, where you're like running in front of the explosion or whatever. But they don't. This is an interesting set. Uh, lots of buttons and yeah. dials and stuff. By whom? Not the Enterprise crew. Well, that was fortuitous timing. <laughs> but not at six seconds, thank goodness. <laughs> at three minutes. Why does everything built with a self-destruct? Has anything in human history to this point been built with a self-destruct? I suppose Outside of Mission Impossible? But okay. Relationships? To be, to be fair, to be fair, we actually we go to the Museum of Science and Industry and the U boats do yeah, have, have charges to destroy. But that's because they're carrying like secret codes and stuff. You know? They're carrying an Enigma machine and they're they're carrying plans for all the German submarines. The vast, vast, vast majority of things in our experience do not have self destruct. Why would this Yeah, well, this thing, thing should not need a self-destruct. Well, I understand why the Enterprise Yeah. Doesn't. I'm not a big fan of this set. Where is this in the ship? You know, where is this scaffoldy thing on the bob? This looks like neutral. And yeah. I mean, it's not as dark as New Trek. No, but it looks like the kind of useless that yeah. that would be. <laughs> well, okay, like I like the sense of so like okay, like if you look at something like uh, like a telescope array or something, I get that sense from it. Yeah, I can see that. 
I think it, they're supposed to be in sort of the cylindrical portion yeah. of this ship. Is he, like, breaking his bones, or what? Why do these guys care enough? Right. If they're being manipulated or controlled by the sonar. Are they being paid? What are they being paid in? Are they going to be made immortal, too? Well, that would explain why a small group of people could take over these lesser races, is if what they said is, be subservient to us and we will... Yeah. Unfortunately, that's not explained in the movie. No. If they, yeah, if they showed it as, like, a cult or something. Right. But they would have had to somehow prove to them that this thing... Some would... Anyway. This is a very elaborate <laughs> mechanism. Well, here's my, here's my problem with the design even more than is this a big useless space for a fight. It looks too professionally designed. Like, it looks like a government put it together with the intention of making more. It doesn't look like it would be the one-time-only purpose-built by a madman thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it shouldn't it's, have... It's not a bespoke collector. Right. It shouldn't have intruder alert. It shouldn't have, like, the all the stuff, because that's just not what it is. How does Picard know how to do all this stuff? How does he read their language? The other dude. Does it have artificial gravity that's pulling things down yeah. this chasm? I, why would you put that gravity there? I, it just strikes me as like the Death Star of Star Trek Insurrection. Yeah. And I don't like that. Okay, how much does this scene bother you? Oh, that's not, not happening yet. Oh, are you thinking of uh, the similar scene in Nemesis? I must be thinking of the similar scene in Nemesis. Because in fact, there's a similar doohickey in Nemesis that they have to destroy. Yeah. Would you really wait? For the, for the bone mall, yeah. <laughs> it's like, there's atmosphere throughout this whole ship? Why? And this... Uh, like, did they really need to be that close to being a mile? Not have saved the other dude's life. I mean, I know he was a bad guy, but. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question. They must have had a really convincing, very quick meeting with the Federation Council. How did they communicate with the Federation? Well, that was. How did they get out fast enough? Yeah. Um, I guess they were close enough to the door. But they were 19 hours away last time. Yeah, but that was like overnight. The, like There was like a nighttime thingy. Yeah, there was a... So there, there's the tacit acknowledgement that it was a bad idea to 
try to get Troy and Worf together. You rag on that, I think, more than is absolutely reasonable. Like, I think they laid the groundwork. Yep, there's Dr. Crusher. One inch tall, way off camera. Not with me. Wearing really high platform shoes. Were you really that close? I wish I could stay, but I've got at least four other girlfriends <laughs> on different planets. Vash is going to be calling any day now. And you don't really want to be around when she shows up. Yeah. You know, it was a fun little side thing, but you know, Beverly's going to give me a bunch of crap about it. Are you up on the books that proceed the end of the televised series? No. Um, do, do you mind a major spoiler? You can spoil it majorly. They get together. Oh, finally. They have a kid. Okay. And so here's the payoff of Data Plane. <sighs> so, Esther, I believe you asked before, does this really do anything for the characters? You know? Okay. Like, do they do they really grow because of this? And, yeah. All this Data stuff, already asked and answered. Picard, I feel, doesn't really change much at all. Um, I think Generations did a better job of creating emotional stakes yeah. for characters. I think First Contact did a better job. Like, I know we've had this conversation about how credible Picard's backslide is, but I personally found it entire Like, if you put a prisoner of war back in the prison he was imprisoned in, he'd have a PTSD attack. Oh, I think it's it's questionable, but... Like I think that, Acceptable. but I think that gave it stakes. Like it makes sense that Picard would feel that way. Eh. Who wrote this one? Oh, let us see. I think it's Michael Pillar. Yeah, that's what it. That's what it's in the opening credits. Okay. Yeah, screenplay by Michael Pillar, story by Berman and Pillar. So maybe that's why they had Pillar filler. Well, it's yeah. <laughs> Pillar was filling. Well, and look, he's a practiced TNG hand, and... Don't go to warp. Don't go to warp. Don't go to warp. Okay. Okay, you can leave. And I'm, like, I'm like, if they shoot... Kevin will allow this movie to continue. <laughs> I'm like, if they do the jump to warp, I'm going to be so mad. <laughs> well, how long they is it... They probably did, and then somebody was like, no, <laughs> go it's back. It's probably Michael Kuda. He's like, guys, wait a minute. Um, I... If it takes 19 hours at warp, how long does it take at impulse? No, well, I think they were at impulse the whole time, anyway. Okay. They weren't at warp to start. Max Grudenchik as an alien ensign. I, but... His part was cut? Yeah. That's what it says in uh, Alright, well... There was supposed to be a scene with Quark, apparently. I don't know why. <laughs> oh, because they were like setting up like a resort on the world or something. Yeah. Oh. I think that would be a more interesting thing. That their culture is being destroyed by colonization more than uh, relocation. Yeah. Okay. So, time to evaluate. Uh, Story-wise, writing-wise. Okay. Writing-wise... There were plenty of good scenes. There were plenty of good character interactions. It's clear that Michael Pillar knows the characters backwards and forwards. You know, uh, the Troy Riker stuff was very pleasing. 
Um, there was good-ish dialogue, uh, but in terms of story construction, I feel as though there are several key problems. Yeah, all the parts are there, they just don't work together. Like, the moral quandary isn't significant enough, the action, all it's just... Uh... Well, the Sona make no sense. The Sona yeah. and Baku yeah. make no sense. The whole, the whole modus operandi of the Sona race is not developed to the point where it makes sense. Well, it's not a race. Yeah. Like yeah, why are they or something? Why are they even called the Sona? Is Sona like a word in Baku yeah, that means yeah. offlanders or something? It, yeah, it just Which would have been a better way of exposing of doing the reveal rather than randomly how did yeah, you like, get the DNA scans when you weren't supposed to yeah, be able to like have in, DNA scans? Maybe in dialogue, you know, the Baku used the word and they're like, What word did you say? Yeah. You know, eh, I don't know. Why wouldn't the Baku just recognize them? I don't know. Right, I think we've spent the movie dissecting the writing, <laughs> so we don't. I don't think we need to. Well, do that. just just to summarize, though, I also dislike the sort of big action conclusion, which just feels like not pillar filler, but just filler. You know, pillar filler at least it's is charming, charming and advances yeah. character. This is just like action filler. It's like seems like. Someone at Paramount well, said... Well, we're making a movie, so we need a few more explosions. We need a big explosion. Yeah. We need a dramatic conclusion. We need to put Picard's life in danger. Yeah. Um, so, eh. I... Let's talk about the whole, like, this is just an episode thing, right? I think the first half of this movie is a very serviceable, good Star Trek episode. You know, maybe maybe even at the level of a four. Yeah. You know, but the second half of the movie drags it down. I, I feel it just it's like it eh. do, it's less that it drags it down or just doesn't pay it off. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. Like, here's the thing: I remember sitting there in the theater, and even by the time we got to the wishy-washy explanation of what the sonar really were and the action sequence at the end, I'm like, well, I guess I'm ready for the movie to be done, but I'm not like angry. I'm not. I wasn't. I I, I wasn't like quaking with blind rage the way I was after Nemesis or Into Darkness or so I don't know like yeah like my re-watching this which I okay here's the thing it's a very short movie it's only an hour and 43 most of them are clocked in right around two, two hours yeah so there was like an extra ten minutes they could have used to actually this isn't yeah this isn't out. that much longer than a two-parter actually um but yeah like i don't watch it very often which is its own kind of indictment in a way you know like i don't rewatch this one but when i did watch it i enjoyed it, it no i think it's it's mildly enjoyable yeah. why it's not while it's on screen i remember coming out of the first showing maybe because i was in a theater maybe i was younger i hadn't you know, I refuse to believe there was a time when you would not nitpick the movie to death. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I I, re- I remember being annoyed by the the big doohickey exploding thing. You know, like that irritated me, even in even back then. But like I remember being more interested in the moral quandary, the moral question. Well, I think maybe. At the time, there was no Babylon. Not sorry, there was no Battlestar Galactica. Science fiction, other than Star Trek, didn't engage these questions. Like I think there's a 
part of our memory of Star Trek is that Star Trek was the first time in very many ways we we encountered many kinds of moral quandaries. So I think maybe that was it. Like it just it wasn't like there was anything out there that was do like every TV show that's not a straight four camera sitcom these days does you know high tent hot moral drama with its entertainment even if it's supposed to be a comedy like this is a this movie came out you know 20 years before breaking bad if that made or 10 years before breaking bad but you know what i mean like entertainment especially science fiction didn't engage any morality in a way now that in a way that now every form of entertainment does in the age of the netflix like post network collapse television so it was Groundbreaking for its time, but not... Not even ground... Even if it weren't groundbreaking, it was still the only game in town. Okay. Um, I feel as though Dougherty did not get enough to make him... Yeah. ...have really any uh, leg to stand on argument-wise. Like, they had the ready room scene, and he gave a very truncated version of the case for... There should have been a better case for... He needs a backstory. He needs, like... A wife who's dying of cancer or something. Or, you know, or, like, or like they need to tie this into. I understand. Can this affect Kira on a yeah, first look? Yeah. Like well, if, I, mean, yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. But like it would have helped had they tied it into the war. Like I, it, they, if they had 10 minutes and still had this not run long, they could have spent that tying it into the Dominion War and then found some way to connect whatever was here to a leg up. And then, like, like I said, these Space Nine. Well, the, mo- oh, the modus vivendi, the, the whole motivation of this thing was supposed to be that somehow helping billions of people in the Federation would make them stronger for, for the war or something. And I just don't get it. Yeah. I don't get how if something takes 10 years to, to manifest. No, but not, well, that was 10 years on the planet. On the planet. The idea was they wanted to skip that. But how is living longer going to help you fight a I battle agree. when I you agree. Could like, die in explosions anyway? Well, yeah, like Star, uh, Deep Space Nine did this very story in in the Pale Moonlight, and it did it better. Like it pitted the harsh reality of the situation versus Federation ideals, yeah. and Federation ideals lost in a very big but still fundamentally entertaining way. Okay. Um, and then there's like the whole Amish theme that was sort of very lightly raised, forgotten for a good hour, and then very lightly returned to. And I just... Maybe that you should do one or the other. You know? I I don't know. Um, So it's problematic, writing-wise. Did any acting stand out? There wasn't dialogue to make it stand out, but everyone did a good job. Like, I liked Picard. I liked Donna Murphy. I, I mean... LeVar Burton had the... Oh, that was a great scene, scene, yeah. Very brief. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, So, yeah, I suppose Picard's best scene was his moral indignation in the ready room. Uh, Did you buy the romance? No. I didn't buy it. I bought chemistry. I didn't buy romance. But they didn't really depict romance either. They just depicted... By the end, they did though. Well, and then he's, she's like, "What am I going to do with that?" Yeah, that like, was. And the, what did you do with him? Right, that <laughs> was that was the line too far. Like I think it also betrayed the character. Yeah, this was not a character. She's like, worried about the future or something. Yeah, it's like, eh, I've got time. Yeah. You'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> There's other dudes on this planet that I haven't gotten to yet. You know, I don't, what the duck blind? I love duck blind stories. But this didn't utilize it 
Well, it was gone within the first five minutes. To a significant degree. I, you know, I love both duck blinds in TNG because it's such a fascinating... What's the other one? Uh, well, with uh, Sergei Rojenko. Oh, yeah. He was in a duck blind on that planet and betrayed the duck blind because he wanted to, you know, have sex with, with the pretty ladies, yeah. essentially. Um, you know, so yeah, they, they didn't do much with it here. Okay, anyway. Uh, so you like, who's the actress that plays in each? Donna Murphy. Donna Murphy. I, I thought she was a little bit sleepy that's it's supposed to be the character i get it but i feel like it could have been done in a more interesting way or like she did what the script asked her to yeah uh how about admiral dowry uh kind of a cutout for me i guess he wasn't given enough yeah to to animate his character like kelly says to give him a backstory it, it maybe doesn't even have to be a dying wife or something just like Enough of his own feelings, enough of his own thoughts yeah. on the issue. Um, okay, well then what about F. Murray Abraham, who I guess is a pretty big deal. Yeah, he's a good actor. It just, uh, like, I bought his intensity and I bought his internal dedication to his character's point of view, but it just still, that still doesn't make it well explained in the story. Huh, yeah. Well, I love the music. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith did a good job. The um, none of the Baku really stood out to yeah. me acting wise. Uh, even Donna Murphy, that she had the most to do. The kid's okay. Um, how about Spiner? I mean, Spiner had a fair number of scenes. He was sort of the straw that stirred the drink okay. initially. Yeah. He was just Spiner. I mean, you know, yeah. nothing any different than normal. I guess, like an episode, it was a very ensemble... Yeah, and Picard got the most. And he yeah. did his typical, you know, good job. So I guess it sounds like we're saying the acting is pretty average all around. Yeah. You know, people did what they needed to do, but didn't... And the chemistry between... Uh, oh, Troy and Troy Riker. Troy and Riker was great. You know, I could watch a movie of Troy and Riker getting back together. It's like Troy and Riker go on dates. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I hate to go back to it, but Menage a Troy could have been so much better if the point of the episode had been to get them back together. Instead, that episode interrupted them getting back together. And then they, like, didn't go back to it until Star Trek Insurrection. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck, writers? What the fuck? It's like, could, shouldn't you have noticed that the, like, the scenes where they were getting back together were so fun, and then the rest of the episode was like, why am I watching this instead of Troy and Riker getting back together? Okay. Anyway, production values. You know, for having gone with a non-ILM effects yeah. group, I think nothing was... Okay, nothing in space was bad. <laughs> the, uh, the hacky sacks and the little creature who was totally pointless were not great. They weren't horrible effects. Um, you know, I thought we got decent costumes. This, did did were you did you feel like the set the Baku set was not? It felt a little. It didn't feel like a lived in place. Everything was too clean and yeah. too yeah. You'd think yeah. these three hundred year old 
you know, buildings would show a little well, age. Maybe, maybe once the building reaches maturity. Yeah. <laughs> stays in its prime or something. Uh, what would it mean if a building regenerated would go back to its original building materials? Yeah. <laughs> it goes back to stone and tree. Does, like, the tree get replanted? Yeah. Or? Yeah, why not? Uh, is it just large organisms? Does if you cut grass, does it just immediately spring back to, like... How could you... At what point is it? <laughs> does it take ten years for the grass to become but, more... But plot-wise in this, I think the whole point, that whole moment where, where she tells Picard no more questions is, like... Yeah. That is the problem, is Pretty that much. nobody bothered to ask questions at any point. Oh, we forgot to mention the, like, dippy-trippy time-stopping thing. It's like, yeah. why did you add that into the story, Okay. I um, don't like the dress uniforms. They make them look like Mater D's. Uh, I, I kind of like the dress uniforms. I, I get the Mater D thing. I like they're better than the dress... Dress dress uniforms. Dress, oh, dress uniforms? no, 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 no. The, the second dress uniforms in TMG were superb. I agree that in the first season they were too long, but once they got to the, like, once they found the right place to and cut And they were that, wearing slacks and not leggings yeah, under them? Yeah, it was, it was truly excellent. Uh, evolution of the regular TNG uniform. Um, I suppose we should talk about makeup. I mean, Westmore got a lot to do with the Sona. Uh, I don't feel like it really worked that well. Uh, Kevin, did you say they're not attractive? Like I Right, like who would... Okay, so the story implication is that the Sona are also 300 years old and have been maintaining their lives artificially. But who does that to themselves and goes, yep, success? Well, it seems like the cosm- there was a definite cosmetic element to what they were doing. Yeah. Like, I'll miss these skin-stretching sessions with you. Yeah. You know, why do it? it? You know, it's like, if you're going to be old anyway, are you trying to fool people into thinking you're younger? It just, it, did, it, it wasn't appealing visually. Yeah. Um, like, it might have been better for the story had the Sona been, like, incredibly beautiful or something. Or you, like, would see the sagging, and then they would get the stretch, and they would look good again or something. Like yeah. a little, just a subtler hand? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think that might be the way to go. Like, they look normal, except in very, you know, key moments. I don't know. Um, hmm. Well, I think this is... I think this is a three. Yeah, this is a three. I was I was this close to having to like wrestle you away from a two. <laughs> this is a three. It is a perfectly adequate, mildly entertaining hour and a half of my life, as much as Star Trek has been. Some of it is much better, and I love it when it's much better, but I can't be mad at this. This is not what I would show other people to be like, you should also watch <laughs> Star Trek, but yeah. it's not something that if they watched it, they'd be like, why do you watch this? I don't know. I kind of feel like... If this were an episode or a two-parter, I would say it's a three. I almost feel like for a movie, it doesn't live it's up a to two. Movie. I, I get that but argument. Why did I just give this an hour and forty minutes of my life? Because know. you love your husband. That's <laughs> it's also much as why you agreed to the projector, which we are watching said movie. Fair enough. No, but I. No, the real sad thing is they're gonna like it. Only goes downhill from here. For the next 10 years. <laughs> for the next 20 years. Yeah. Because it's almost, it's 17 years it's been. There were, there were, there were stretches of Enterprise that were better. 
than Insurrection. Oh, I was I had excluded Insurrection mentally. I meant movie wise. Yeah, movie wise, absolutely. Like this is sort of the last. Oh, look, the wedding of of Troy and Riker. Yeah, right up until Data the, starts singing. The first five minutes <laughs> of Nemesis yeah. was okay. We'll have to cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, Thank God we've already podcasted both of the uh, Abrams track. Otherwise, just knowing all of that's coming. It would be very difficult to look forward to that. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Um, but we will have Star Trek Beyond coming up. Uh, we don't need to uh, sully this podcast <laughs> with. <laughs> well, let, let's end on that note. This well, is on. at least real Star Trek. Yeah. The characters behave in the way consistent with their characterizations and inside the moral structure as established in the seven seasons and two movies that precede it. Yeah. Yes, it's I, just boring. Yeah. I would much rather watch this than any of the movies that have since come out. I think, as far as boring goes, I only feel like the last half is boring. I feel like the setup threatens to be interesting here and there, and then it fails to do so, you know? Yeah. Um, so I only start getting bored, like, watching the clock. It's like, okay, wrap it up, because clearly you're not going to answer the interesting questions. Right. You know? Uh and I feel like the pacing was crisper during the initial, uh, you know, first 20, 30 minutes or so. Like, you were you were getting data back, you were, you know, learning about Dougherty, and he was telling you to get the hell out of here. If he had just had more scenes in the second half with Dorian Riker, we would all be fine with it. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty That's much. true. I agree with well, that. Then they, well, they finally get them back together, and then they separate them. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And you're like, oh. That, that was kind of an irritating decision. Um, you know, speaking of duck blind episodes, Who Watches the Watchers had a much keener and more tightly developed moral quandary. Yeah, totally. And so, you know, by making the Baku basically warp-capable people who had just decided to give it up, you sort of got rid of all of, a, a lot of potential sources yeah. for tension. Yeah. There's no secrets. There's there's nothing you're afraid to reveal. Um, yeah, but I I do I, I stick by a three. I think the acting is decent enough and the production values are decent enough. Yeah, like Franks did a good job with this. the The pacing problems are in the script. It's not with how he handles breaking a scene, and it's all there. Like it, uh, yeah, just uh, it's it's adequate. This movie is adequate. It's mediocre. Yeah. Which, and I mean that in the, the truest definition of the word. You know, it's, you know, not great, not horrible. It's mediocre. Uh, and I think a, a three, if someone were to argue for a two, I wouldn't too strenuously debate them. I, you know, I could see that. It's not a one, you know. Okay, so here, we gave, did we give twos to, uh, uh, Final Frontier? I believe so, yes, we did. Alright, I think this is a better all-around movie than Final Frontier. I can agree with that. Yeah, I mean, if that's our standard for a two, um, I mean, we've given... Of the movies, here are our ratings. We've got a nine for First Contact. I was a 
stick in the mud as far as... Yep. <laughs> I think a nine is very solid. No, it's a good score. And a four is a good movie. <laughs> I just think it had a few issues. Um, we gave Generations an eight. We gave Undiscovered Country a seven. I was the stick in the mud on that. All right, do you think this is better or worse than Undiscovered Country? I think Undiscovered Country is a better movie okay. than this. I would agree. I would also agree. I don't. That. I don't think there's any. I can't imagine someone arguing the reverse. No, yeah, because that one's just more fun to watch, if nothing else. Yeah, it's better paced. It's crisper. So, so if memory serves, the ranking in my, that I've always encountered is Wrath of Khan, Voyage Home, First Contact, then Search for Spock, Undiscovered Country, and this form of mushy, much more arguable middle. This is in the mushy middle. This is in the mediocre middle yeah. part. Then um, Final Frontier at the bottom. And so and then I leave out discussing the new Trek because I've had friends I liked and friends I've respected tell me they liked at least the first Abrams film. We went to dinner after Into Darkness oh, yes. in which people defended that. that movie to our faces. <laughs> How dare they? <laughs> I agree. How dare they? Did you watch the same movie? Did you not see me and my two friends having like a seizure while watching it? <laughs> I'm surprised no one in the theater is like, you guys just settle down. Yeah. I mean, we weren't loud, but, but we were animated. Like, we were just, you know, whispering to each other. Oh my God, and making like this, like, like what the fuck hand gesture at the screen. And... This was the second one. This, yeah, yeah. You were wise not to join us. Well, I had. We saw it. And I saw it earlier that day, and I had come home and said, "Like Matthew, don't go. You're not. <laughs> you're not gonna like this. I have an aneurysm or something." <laughs> I, you know, I'm trying to figure out what my ranking for the movies would be. And, you know, Wrath of Khan is the clear, clear best. I think Voyage Home is better than First Contact. I agree. Yeah, totally. Uh, I think First Contact might be slightly better than Search for Spock, but I, I'm a, I'm a lover of Search for Spock. and Yeah, you like Search for Spock about a notch above the consensus. Yeah, no, no one is going to dissuade me from that yeah. opinion. Uh, I think it's too tightly integrated into the, the two, three, four... Yeah, sort of trifecta to be bad. I, I just, oh, it's certainly I don't, I don't understand why people yeah, think people say, say it's bad. bad and they're wrong. I have issues, but it's well, I've always bad. enjoyed. Yeah, totally. Um, is this better than the motion picture? No, it, it can't be by definition. I mean, we gave the motion picture an eight, right? We did. Uh, <laughs> we did. No, but I think if you really think about it, it's not better than the motion picture. It's definitely not. Because even though the motion yeah. picture dragged down with the major scenes, there's just a lot. Sure, but there's a more interesting story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's Kelly saying that. I mean, like you're <laughs> <laughs> like that's not even us like rounding up. That's were, like a there were civilian. <laughs> there were real stakes for the characters in the motion picture. It doesn't seem like there are real stakes for the characters yeah. in this movie. Uh, okay. Do you really count as a civilian if you've seen all of Trek? <laughs> you have, God, you have. Sometimes you, more than once. You know, here's a shocker. You might actually, if you have you watched all of Enterprise? Yeah. Okay, you might have actually seen more than I have because I fell out of the middle of Enterprise there and I haven't I've picked it up. I've only seen like half of the animated series. Okay, there we go. You, you, Order is restored to the universe. <laughs> you've probably read more of the novels than I have, although I have read a few. That is certainly novels. true. Um, uh, a lot of them are on Oyster, the like Netflix for eBooks, and uh, it's what I do on my commutes now. But yeah, I mean, season four of Enterprise is great. 
All right, you got to put uh, Final Frontier in there. Uh, is Final Frontier better than Nemesis? Yes. 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 It's less aggressively horrifying. Uh, yes. Yes. It's got a better character story. I actually blocked the fact that Nemesis existed from my mind until I was like flipping through channels like sometime like a year or two ago. Yeah, when you're reading... And, I, and, it, and all of a sudden I was like, is there a Star Trek movie I've never seen? Yeah. That seems <laughs> unlikely. And then I start watching it and I go, I vaguely remember this and I don't don't like this one. I'm changing the channel. This is not making me happy. <laughs> this is not... I don't know how Am I blocked it from my mind, but I want to go back to that stage. Am I having a bad dream? Am I dreaming of a bad Star Trek movie? Uh, so is this complete here? Yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, generations. First contact. Insurrection. Nemesis. Okay, this is complete. I would say Insurrection ranks below the motion picture, but above Star Trek V. Yeah, and, okay. And, and that's the question you started with. Is yeah. this better than uh, Final Frontier? Yes. I, th- I think it is. Yes. There's less yeah. less that's facially stupid. It's just like undeveloped. Yeah. You know? There are still good character stories in Star Trek V, so it's it's a close call, I would say. Um, I don't think it's that close. I feel like this was a fundamentally valid question that was just not asked with enough verve to hold my attention the whole time. Star Trek V's structured plot was just ridiculous on its face. So you would you would say that there's a, sort of a gulf between Insurrection and then the bottom? Yeah, yeah, I would say Insurrection rounds out the mushy middle, and then there's a jump down to the final frontier nemeses of the world. Well, and is there then a further... Drop down for I, I think Nemesis, Final Frontier, and the 2009 movie, and then there's a and then there's a yeah. there's a big chasm, and then there's oh, Into Darkness. Into Darkness is by far the worst one. Oh yeah, yeah I, oh yeah. Hmm. Hmm. It's hard to rank the Abrams movies in Star Trek because right, I don't they're, actually they're feel like Trek. I don't yeah. feel like I'm watching Star Trek when I watch them. Yeah, I like, mean, on like, my list, so it's, it's it's like it's a different. It's like Hitler and Mussolini down there. Which one's worse? No, or I should say I should say Hitler and Stalin. Like Nemesis is Mussolini, you know. But 2009 and Into Darkness. The trains ran on time, but it was generally speaking. Well, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you know in terms of damage. Yeah. You know, uh, hmm. And f- five is like I don't know Nixon or something. If you've gotten to the Hitler part of the conversation, I'm pretty sure we're done. The, the, on that note, people. Nemesis is not a bad movie. It is just bare... It's an okay movie. It's not a good movie. It's an okay movie. Um, I wish it were better. But it's bad Star Trek. It's, it's, it's adequate Star Trek. They hit the notes. They do the things. Wait, in are the, you saying Nemesis or Nemesis. Insurrection? Uh, no, sorry, Insurrection. Okay. Sorry. What did I say? <laughs> you said Nemesis. Holy <laughs> shit. Oh, bad, bad Kevin. Okay. Insurrection is thoroughly competent, mediocre Star Trek. Yeah. In the vein of it's TNG. The, it's the cream of wheat of Star Trek. If I'm ever, like, ill, I can watch it and I'll be okay, but, you know, it's just not more than that. I would probably turn it off after the first two-thirds. I'd be like, and then there's a bunch of action yeah. stuff, and it's <laughs> over. Um, I, I'm moderately engaged by the first third two to third. a half. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, so that's a six for Insurrection. Nemesis will not be getting a six, I assure you. Yeah, that, That'll be an interesting question. Um, well, thank you for our guests. Thank you for helping us break in our home theater room. Please don't break it. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, yeah, six. I think that's a defensible rating. Yeah. Live long and prosper. Have a good night. <laughs>